great to be here. Welcome to ANC. This is the best place to be on a Sunday morning. Love this place. Um, two back-to-back weeks. I think this is the first time ever in like almost two years. So hey, that happened. Um, so what I'd like to do is build on what we, what we talked about last week, um, because actually, in a way of reading the text, I think that it actually does that. And so we know when you're given the freedom to sort of fumble your way through a book, Scott, your seats are still open up here. I'm sorry, this is awkward. Scott, come on down. Yeah, Scott and Kimberly, they own these two seats. I'm sorry, I should never have pointed them out. I'll buy you dinner later, Scott. <laughs> but I think uh, you've, there's, there's great freedom to sort of jump around, and I think Jesus is driving at something, and I want to get to that. But before we do, I want to bump back and kind of recap what we talked about last week, because I think, there, I think maybe some of us chewed on that a bit this week, and I want to kind of go there. If you weren't here last week, all of our sermons are always up on our podcast feed, so check out austinnewchurch.com. You can always see what you've missed. Um, but I made this statement last week, and I think it, it resonates with me pretty deeply. Um, so let's, let's kind of pick up there, and we'll move forward. Our deepest calling in the world is to see what Jesus sees and say what Jesus says. That's what we talked about last week. The Canaanite woman in the middle of a crowd, the hullabaloo of ministry on their way somewhere, presses in and actually defibrillates Jesus out of fatigue and says what needed to be said about Jesus. And, 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 and in, in a way of looking at that, she kind of flipped the roles. It's generally Jesus who's doing the seeing and the saying, right? Jesus is seeing through the ruse. He's seeing through the cloud. He's saying what needs to be said. But in this one case, this Canaanite woman got it done. She got it said, right? So that's the idea. Our deepest calling in the world is to see what Jesus sees and say what Jesus says. Did anybody find that challenging? Was anybody here last week? Anybody? Yep, okay. Caleb was here last week. Did anybody find that? Does anybody have anything they want to say as they engaged that last week? Was that tough? Did it sound easy, but maybe wasn't so easy? Anyone? Thank you. Thank you, Bo. Thank you. Yeah, we dialogue here, JR. Sorry. JR is pastor from Dallas. He's hiding out in the front row on his sixth anniversary. Just thought you should know that. Who goes to see Jaws on the water for their sixth anniversary? Deeply disturbing. Anyway. Um. You know, there's, you can hear something that sounds really meaningful, and by the time you get to the car, you can realize that it's way more difficult to, to do than it is to, to, to say, right? It sounds easy, but don't be fooled. It's going to take you a lifetime. It's going to take me a lifetime to figure out how to actually see what Jesus sees. Because there's a whole lot of other things I'd rather see for my own reasons, right? One of the, one of the issues, well, I won't go there because it's too controversial. And this is ANC. We're super conservative at ANC. I was in a conference recently, and I attempted to offer what, to me, was the simplest common denominator of Jesus' sort of incarnational ministry, or sort of the way in which Jesus was God here on earth, and what that means for us. And so I offered that summary, right? Jesus, uh, saying what Je- seeing what Jesus sees and saying what Jesus says is really our most profound calling. And this guy says, you know, that's too simple. No, nope, it's got no teeth in it. You're making it too simple. I said, what do you mean? He says, it just, it's just not, that's... That's too easy. It sounds too easy. Anybody can do that. I'm like, no, I think you're misunderstanding what I mean by seeing and saying. It's going to take a lifetime to do that. It's going to take a lifetime to have the courage to see past the controversy and then say about that situation, the humanity involved in that brokenness, to say what Jesus says about that person. It's going to take a lifetime. So that's not easy. The only thing I can think of is that he was misunderstanding the deep and lifelong action that I'm actually implying in that seeing and that saying. Decades. Give yourself decades. That's all I can say. And if you grew up in the church like me, 
for the pastor who's my dad, it's going to take even more decades because the cloud is so thick and, we, and we're so invested in behavioral modification, I guess, that it's very difficult for us to see, really, really see people past that. Okay. But let me remind you that this is Jesus' way of operating in the world. And I just want to summarize three little verses in John. They're not on the screen. Just listen. Three times John says something similar. He says in John 5, 19, he says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. So Jesus, God on earth, says, I don't, I don't do anything that I don't see the father doing, right? Chapter 8, Jesus says, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me to speak. Total dependence, Christ the son. Another place in John 12, he says, for I, did not, I do not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commands me to say what I have spoken. I know that this command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say. This is Jesus' way of, this is the secret sauce, right? This is the way Jesus walked among us. He wasn't pointing out what came to mind so much as he was saying what he saw the Father say and seeing what he saw the Father see. And in my mind, this is probably the most important thing that has to be said about Jesus Christ, is that even still God-man, God, this fusion of humanity and divinity on earth in a discernible body born of a carpenter and, and a very young mother in a controversial time and space, he only did what he saw the Father do. So we in A and C like to consider ourselves to be missional or modalic or sent ones. So the question for us would be, when we go, what do we build? When we recreate things, what do we create? When we go and do the work of Jesus, wherever it is in the city, wherever it is in the world, what are we doing when we get there? What are we building? Well, to the degree that it's effective, it's going to have to be, we're going to be doing what we see God doing, period. You get the, you get the simple simple logic. I'm not a math guy, but... Lowest common denominator is like the only concept that I ever gathered all the way through college math. I don't know how I passed college math. It's a joke. So that's the bottom line. Seeing and saying as the Father sees and says. The rest of it's going to pass. The rest of it saps our energy. It drains our inspiration. The rest of it is only religion. It's institution. In fact, call it organized modification of behavior. That's what it is. Unless it's seeing and saying what Jesus Christ or what the Father God is telling us to see and say. That's why most of us have rejected church. I don't know if you know that about ANC, but we're a collection of people who, in many cases, have just given up on the organized church. It was exhausting. It was always about doing more, being more, trying more, adding more, taking away more. And so we're here because we're in a different space. Because I think what we do here, what we try to do here to the the best of our ability, is to simplify it down to just that. Let's just be Jesus in the city. Let's just do what Jesus would do. But if you sat with us last week, you will have noticed that by the time you got to your car, a gap already began to emerge between how easy that sounded and how difficult that is to do. So I'll go ahead and tweet the idea for today, and then we'll get there by degrees. But here's the bottom line where we're going today. There's more than just human effort involved in doing that and speaking what Jesus would speak and seeing what Jesus would see. There's more than just trying harder. Just trying harder is not going to get you there. We're going to see how that works. Okay. Let me give you some more context in case you're, you're, you're just jumping in the story. We're in Matthew uh, 16 today. Jesus is driving hard at getting certain people, and I don't say everyone, because you notice how many times he says, hey, by the way, don't tell anybody that I just healed you. You guys, anybody ever worry about that? Like, what, what? Heals this person, and he says, oh, by the way, sh- sh- keep that, keep that, it's just between us, right? Cone of silence. Jesus always does this. That's probably not in the Greek, but that's in the English, I think. 
So he's driving at really hard at getting certain people to recognize who he actually was. The Canaanite woman got it in chapter 15. She said it. She literally wakes him up out of a fatigue-induced slumber. I know Jesus couldn't get tired, but he actually did. She summons something to the surface, right, that was buried under exhaustion and fatigue and with words brought back that reality. Words do that. Did you know that? Your words can do that. My words can do that. Did anybody experiment this week with that? The words of Jesus bring life. Try that on your kids. Try that on your wife. That's for free. But Jesus is looking for more than just the Canaanite's woman, Canaanite woman's confession. He's going after the disciples' confession today, right? He's going to get these guys to go on record. He wants to know who they say he is. And in this interesting sort of pre-planned little confrontation, Jesus is going to get his finger right in their face and say, okay, now, who am I? Pop quiz, right? Love it. He's no longer in the demonstration phase. This is no longer the 30-day trial period of Spotify, commercial free 30-day trial. Everybody cried when that was over, and then you had to pay for it, right? He's looking for subscriptions now. His ministry has been properly prepared, properly vetted. Everything had gone down just as planned, and now he's looking for subscribers, not just people to say, yeah, this is okay. He's looking for the real deal. This is the moment he's been waiting for. And what's interesting is Jesus has this little rhythm. I don't know if you noticed this, but when you track him through a book like Matthew, you'll figure this out. He teaches to the crowd, right? Gathers a crowd, does a few miracles, pulls his inner circle together, breaks down what just happened, tries to move on to get some rest, bumps back into the crowd, moved by compassion, starts the whole process over. This is basically where we've been in the book of Matthew. He's moved by the need, the whole thing repeats itself, and the disciples are just trying to keep up. What interests me today is that he generally turns back at some point to the disciples and gives them a quiz. Hate those. They probably hated him too. They generally failed them. Go back through your New Testament. Go back through the book of Matthew again and look at all the times Jesus dismisses a crowd, turns to the disciples and say, okay, did you guys get that? And they're like, man, break it down. We have no idea what you just said. Like, tell me about that parable of the soils. Like, I don't understand how dirt and seed work. Yeah, you're talking about dense, right? Pretty simple stuff. Seed falls in dirt, grows. So it's this pop quiz thing that we're going to jump in today. And it's a pretty comical and yet profound little passage. So read with me in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And driving a little deeper, not letting him off the hook, Jesus says, but but what about you, he asks. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And everybody looks at their sandals, right, or their shoes or whatever. Simon Peter answered, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, as if he finally found the thing he was looking for, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Okay, so we've moved from the confession of random people in the crowd to he wants to know, what do you guys think? And they say, as if rummaging around in their pockets for some shiny stones they've picked up along the way. Uh, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, right? Dripping with passion or not. They're just kind of uh, awkward quiz. How come nobody prepared? Why didn't you prepare us for this, right? Weird little space. You know, they come up with these simple, all they can post up are simple little 
quick little answers like you'd see on a CNN crawler, right? Or like you'd see uh, just newsflash. And interestingly enough, Jesus wasn't a CNN guy. He was much more a PBS guy. I just think you need to know that. The bottom line is these guys had nothing. So he drives a little deeper and he says, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in what the crowd says. I want to know what you say. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? And before we get smug about their answers, right, because it's so easy to see how these guys just sometimes just didn't get it. I want to remind us how difficult these pop quizzes can be. When's the last time somebody put their finger in your chest and said, so, Jesus, who is this guy? Like, Why is this guy so important to you? What did you say? Some people are, their temperature just went up three degrees. It's not easy, is it? What do you say when someone says, why does this, this, Jewish guy that lived all these years ago. Why is this guy figure so prominently in the way you do your life and think and live? And like, what gives? And you're like, blink, 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 right? So before we get really frustrated with these guys, let's remind ourselves these aren't easy questions to answer. These happen to be the most profound questions, which are the most difficult to answer well. If the question was, yeah, we hang out with Jesus, we do this church thing, that's not the answer. The answer is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Not easy. It's fascinating to me that Jesus never really tried to grow a church. Have you noticed that? He seems totally disinterested in moving from a crowd of admirers to an actual institution, brick and mortar style, right? It's it's the preaching of Peter, the guy he's after in this case, that turns what was a movement into actually something tangible. It was the work of Peter and the preaching of Paul and the work of James, his brother, that, that... actually turned this thing into something that, that, that we've inherited through the centuries. But Jesus seems totally disinterested in building a church. Well, let me tell you what. He was obsessed with developing leaders. Probably the best leadership development guy you'll ever want to hear from. Now, he didn't write the books like John Maxwell wrote. He didn't do all the things that these guys did. But he took a ragtag, unlikely group of 12 guys. He lost one, so 11 guys. And he made them into something that... he literally reshuffles the deck of history. He was into leadership development to the nth degree. And this confession of Peter matters. He develops people at every turn. That's the reason behind the rhythm of crowd, miracles, turn to disciples, explain it, bump into crowd, do the same thing again. He's developing people. He's calling people out. What would ANC, here's a question for you. We're going to dialogue this. If this makes you nervous, just look at your shoes. What would ANC look like if we gave ourselves to building people instead of worrying about building a church? Now, small little caveat. We are not particularly obsessed in building a church. That's why we're in Bailey. And look at us, right? Church plant of seven years and we're still in rented space. So I, you just need to know that that's not something that obsesses us. But what would it look like? If a church of several hundred people in a city like Austin released themselves to say, we are going to join what Jesus is doing in building people, and we're not going to worry about whether that eventuates into brick and mortar. How does that change the game? That's an open question. Anyone? Nobody would fall through the cracks. Holy cow, that's a vision. What would it look like if our obsession was to build people, not build a church? Okay, so that that rhythm would be there too, wouldn't it? That come and learn and go and do, 
right? Instead of just come and gather and let's hang out. Let's build something really cool, right? Very profound. Thank you, Lindsay. What else? Changed lives. Yeah. We would see changed lives, wouldn't we? Wouldn't it? How would we sustain it economically? Help me out. Anybody worry about that? Oh my gosh, I'm a church person. How do we pay staff to do that? Great question. Mm -hmm. This is why a lot of churches don't go here. Yeah, and everybody got stoned or burned out of town or gave their life. Yeah, woof. Easy now, easy. We're talking about church. No, I got you though. Yeah, it'd be like the Acts Church. Maybe, maybe we wouldn't have to explain why there's no power left in our model. I'm not picking on ANC. I'm just saying in the church in general, we wouldn't have to come up with complicated theological frameworks to explain why God just doesn't do that anymore because maybe he would because maybe developing people would put us right back on that fringe where Jesus is actually active instead of where we say, let's bring you into our building and hope you stay. I'm being really hard, I know. I've given my life to the church, I have to admit. So these thoughts kind of... Our big thoughts. Anyone else? We've got some good stuff going on. What would it look like if we were obsessed with this instead of building a church? Yeah. Flat out, straight up, we'd be more like Jesus. We'd, we'd have better parties. We'd have more lost people around us. Is that what you meant? <laughs> that's what I was hoping you, would, you meant. <laughs> I know that's what Trey was thinking. He was thinking, yeah, parties. You see the difference? You see how easy it is to slide into, well, our identity is kind of being this church, and so how do we not forget the world? No, no, I'm talking about how do we just dissolve all of that and say, how do we join what Jesus is doing in the world? So our movement would be one about developing people more than developing churches. Yes. More welcoming to who in particular? To everyone. Wouldn't be what? Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. You just, you took a shot at everything that we've always loved in church. She just shot at all, guys. You know the whack-a-mole game? She just whacked all nine moles at once. That's it. We're done. Game over. Tilt. Right? Do you guys know your kids don't even know what the word tilt means? You realize how, how, how historically contextual that is? Like, what does tilt even mean? I said, I'm like, what's, what's like a pinball? Never mind, pinball machines. Go to Mike's house, see a real pinball machine. Mike, Mike Schein still has a pinball machine, in case you need to know what that means. One of our bishops likes to say this, and I love this. I think it actually absolutely says it. He says, we're actually not called to build the church. We're called to build people, right? Simple, to the point. We're not called to build a church. We're called to build people. Different deal. So hear me out. In order to engage what God has planned for us to do here in Austin, we're going to have to develop people to get it done. It doesn't matter how many campuses, camp I, or however you say that in plural. It doesn't matter how many events we do. It's about this. It's about you exploiting every opportunity to call things out of people that no one else sees. It's about you seeing people. It's about you saying about your neighbors who everyone is fed up to hear with for whatever reason. It's about you saying over them in verbal words, not just in your prayer closet, but speaking into existence what Jesus is saying about them. And it's so much less than what we love to see and say. Okay, so let me just tell you a little secret. I see my role as a pastor really basically as releasing people and seeing people. That's it. I'm not a master organizer. I'm not good with logistics, details. I can't spell the word details. I'm pretty sure it's a French word because there's too many vowels. I, I, but, but this is what I see. This is all I see. And this is all I think that, this is what I 
want to give my life to. Because I, here's what I know. I think your greatest loyalty, now watch this, is not to what God has called me to build. Your greatest loyalty is what God has called you to build. The question is, can I see that enough to say, dude, go for that because that's incredible. That's astonishing. As opposed to come join me while we do this thing. Some people will do that for a while and eventually they'll grow out of that because there's a deeper loyalty to their own hardwiring in their guts deep down inside because God has put them here for a bigger reason than what I see. In fact, I think he's put me here to help see what they can't quite yet see and to push and release you to go do that. Because everybody has their own energy source at that point. Everybody goes after it because it's how they're made. You see the difference between gathering several hundred people to do church and releasing several hundred people to be Jesus in the city? You see the difference? Okay. All right. Back to the text. What you may or may not know is that this particular passage has centuries of war around it. Did you know that? So the Catholics would say, well, it's on Peter. Actually, Peter, because Peter was the first pope that Jesus says, I'll build my church. And the evangelicals to first and foremost be non-Catholic say, no, it couldn't have been on Peter because we don't have a pope. And besides, Peter was married and that doesn't make sense. And all this weird. Here's the bottom line. I don't think anybody who's lost really cares about how we interpret the passage. It doesn't really matter. The bottom line is this. Jesus found something that he was looking for, and he says, and on this thing, we can build everything we're hoping to build because, and here's what I think it is, on this ability to say, I'm only going to say what the Father is saying about the situation, that's the confession of Peter. Because later on in the passage, what does Jesus tell Peter? Jesus says, you know what, by the way, ding, ding, you win the prize, good call, that's the answer, and it didn't come from you. This came straight from the Father who spoke through you, And on this, I can build my church because this will stand and the gates of Hades will not prevail against this. So here's my point. The Canaanite woman got it right in the last chapter. Now Peter gets it right, but the revelation of who Jesus is was given to them both by God himself. It doesn't come from within. There's good news here. Track with me. Peter scores because he's merely listening to the voice of God speaking through him. This is not Peter speaking. How do we know? A few few verses later, Peter speaks up again and what does he say? Over my dead body, Jesus, nobody's going to hang you from a tree. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, because that's now you talking. Where just a few verses ago, that was God the Father talking. You see what, see what I'm talking about here? It's the Father who reveals to us, revealed to Peter, who Jesus actually was. This was not his accomplishment, at least in terms of an accomplishment of effort. Maybe it was an accomplishment of release and letting go of all other definitions. And simply saying, you know what? This is, this is the one. This was the Father speaking through Pete. This is what I think the church is built on. If you need to be reminded of how fast things can go south, just follow the verses on to verses 23, verses 21 through 23. And Peter scores a big goal, and then he scores an own goal. You know what that is, soccer fans? He scored on himself, right? Did you guys see that? The British, the girl in the Ladies' World Cup the striker who tried to pass the ball to her own goalie and they lost the game because she scored on her own goalie and she couldn't pick her face up out of it. You didn't see it. Never mind. It was great. It's awesome. Big game on tonight, by the way. 6.30, Mexico versus Jamaica. Just thought you should know. So if you need to be reminded how fast things can go south, just track with Peter. He'll always step back in it. He always does. And that's so encouraging. But his confession had an origin and this is the bottom line. It came from somewhere. It came from the Father. And so here's the gospel news in that. Watch. Can you see that, that it's not up to us to come up with these determinations? It's up to us to release it to God and say, God, speak through me, because this can actually prevail in the earth. It's not our minds, it's not our thoughts, it's not our convictions or our own revelations. The stuff that really needs to be spoken is what we, what Peter, what even Jesus, based on the verses we read a few minutes ago, here's the Father saying and doing. 
And that is such good news because I don't have the creativity to engage the world the way it needs to be engaged. Do you? I can't, I can't renew constantly in a way that makes me constantly on the cutting edge because as soon as I figure out what the answer is, the constituency changes and the audience changes and it's a new deal. Such good news. We are not the light. We are the satellite. You see the difference? We are not the sun. We are the moon. We merely reflect what the real deal is doing. And that's a whole different way of being missionaries in Austin. And I would suggest it's a whole lot easier. That's the secret sauce. We don't have to change the world. Catch this. We don't have to change the world unless the world you're talking about is the world between your own ears. Because we have to change how we hear. We have to change what we see. We have to be willing to see and say what God is doing, but we don't have to change the world. I don't think God is frustrated with social shift. I don't think he's wringing his hands over the current situation in the United States of America. We don't have to carry that weight. Here's my final thought. You know, there's dozens of metaphors about how prayer works. Everybody's got one. It can be spiritual warfare, intercession. There's all kinds of thoughts. But let me tell you my thought on prayer. The one that makes the most sense to me is that through prayer and intercession, we actually are finding the words that God the Father is already thinking and saying about the world in which we live. So prayer maybe is less moving planets and shaking tectonic plates and moving and changing God's mind than it is about us actually aligning ourselves to what God is already saying and doing and seeing and how he's interacting with the world. Let's remember the language about how Peter binds and looses on earth was in the context of when he was speaking on behalf of the Father. How is Peter's confession binding in heaven and in earth? Well, because he's saying what the Father's saying. That's the deal. Prayer moves us as much as it moves God. It aligns us until we say and see exactly what the Father is saying and seeing. So I don't know about you. I don't know if you were here this morning and you've never actually confessed that Jesus is Lord like Peter does in this, in this passage. I don't know if that's you. If that's you, today's a good day. Let the Father speak through you to confirm that this man, Jesus Christ, is the answer. So find a moment today, if that's you, find someone you trust and make that real. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you're just struggling with what life is giving you. Maybe you're trying to find the words of God to speak over your family and your children and your wife and your boss and your clients. And so maybe our prayer needs to simply be, give us your words, God. Speak through us, Father. Give us your words for the situation that I'm facing. You know, I don't think there's any wrong answer to that. Come on, band, join me. And I think that's actually a humble prayer God can do something with. Instead of, God, smite my enemies and handle this and simply saying, God, give me your words for the situation, I think is actually right where we need to be.